0: This is Data Plus Love. everybody. Welcome. I'm here today with Will Strauss. Will's a good friend of mine who I've known on Twitter for quite some time. Um, he has a beautiful Tableau portfolio, and we got to spend a lot of time together this year at uh, this past year's Tableau Conference. How are you feeling tonight, Will?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how is the weather treating you? I know you've had this nor'easter sweeping through. <laughs> I know you've you've got farm concerns. I know at one point you said you had a garage full of bunnies, um, I, I do up?
1: now, I do now. So unfortunately, um, last week, I can't even remember the name of the storm, Ezekiel, I think it was, was the nor'easter that it hit here. And where I am in New Hampshire, uh, we're at about between 900 and 1000 feet elevation. So we got around 30 inches of snow. And it came in two waves at about the same time I was trying to fly out to Buffalo to present at the Buffalo Table User Group. Um, and ended up just getting snowed in. The flights were canceled. If I would have tried to fly early, I would have been stuck in another airport. And that Sunday before, I couldn't leave early because we had uh, 60 of our rabbits at Silver Fox Farm, um, which is a farm that my wife runs and I help, uh, I help work on. And uh, we had to get them all inside ahead of this storm. So yeah, we had a long day of moving heavy hutches, and uh getting everything set up in the garage and then getting it set up in a way that we can keep it cleaned. And then uh this weekend in the you know, after we just got ourselves dug out from the snow, we were uh processing a bunch of rabbits and my wife actually cut into her hand and got five stitches today, the day after her birthday. So uh we've had quite a week at the farm.
0: Okay, I have so many thoughts. First of <laughs> all. <laughs> I, I've, um, I've lived in the South since I was eight. I'm 38 now. So I've been here 30 years In 30 years here. We have not had 30 inches of snow like ah, yeah. cumulative.
1: Well, we get, we get that amount. I mean, we'll get it in bursts. We had a lighter winter last year, but there was a heavy acorn crop this year. So we, we anticipated a little more partic- uh, participation and, uh, and weather coming our way. And, um, Yeah. And we also, because we're in a kind of an exposed pasture area, we're in a hilly, rolling hilly area. We have very consistent wind. So the snow drifts can, you know, we, I I completely uncovered about eight inches of snow off of both cars in the driveway. And then we had this, the rest of the 30 (laughs) inches come after that. So it just makes double, triple the work all the time.
0: Okay. So I love Ezekiel as a name for a storm. It's like, I think, I think maybe biblical names might be best for things that feel semi-apocalyptic. So Ezekiel feels like just right on.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. It hits home. You know, what's the next one movie? Like if we had storm Job coming or, Oh man. Yeah. You never know.
0: If storm Job (laughs) is coming, just leave like it's nothing <laughs> when job hits it's i mean nothing good came out of job it's like if samson comes like samson's just a tragedy like you know th- there aren't that many biblical characters you would like your tropical storm or your northeaster or whatever to be named after so yeah, yeah. um if it's
1: monsoon noah or gargamel is on its way just build the boat and hope for the best
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, okay, silver fox. Farm yes, that has nothing to do with
1: me. I, I don't have much gray hair yet, and uh, I'm not that good looking. The breed of rabbit that uh so we we went with um we're in our first full year at the farm and we were really observing and we wanted we said that we have this great big pasture area, we have a great big pond, so we have some ducks and some chickens, and we were trying to pick a, a herbivore that would be our main uh, protein source and we thought about sheep but the initial cost and the fencing and we didn't quite have a dog that was ready to take care of the sheep so we went with rabbits and so we found a really rare heritage breed rabbit they're called silver fox rabbits they're uh, dark jet black with kind of light silver tips to the fur uh, or some of them are blue which just means like really like light gray like a blue pipple um, and they're great rabbits I mean they're uh, very hardy in our we're in zone five as our climate zone so we wanted something that was going to be good in the cold and they're totally raised on pasture obviously not in the winter we bring some some hay that we cut so yeah they're named after our, our rabbits are really our prize uh, livestock right now so it's so fox
0: so I mean did you grow up farming I know farming is a big passion of yours I know uh, that comes out in a lot of your visiting work I know that, um, you talk about it and obviously you're living it. You've started a farm. You're interested in the agricultural aspects. You're interested in sort of the animal husbandry aspects. Like how did this all kick um, off for you?
1: It was kind of a slow fuse if I'm being honest. So I, I grew up in Western Massachusetts, which is much more rural than, than the Boston area, like kind of, uh, w- even Worcester. And uh, I grew up in West Springfield and, um, there's some, some farming communities around there in Western Mass and more rural areas. A lot of people into hunting and hiking outdoors. And then uh, my father was from central Pennsylvania and his brother, my uncle, uh, is a farmer in that area. My grandfather was a farmer, but they were more conventional farmers. Like they were just truck drivers. And that's literally what they did is they were either driving trucks on long hauls or they were riding combines. And it wasn't a lot of interest in um, whether it was organic or not, if it was soybean or corn, they didn't care. They were just plowing. So I had a little bit of that interest in, in farming early, but it wasn't didn't really hit home with me. And then I went to uh, I was able to go to a boarding school called Northfield Mount Hermon, which really had a big uh, impact on my life. And they had a farm program at the school. So you I lived at the school. Um, it was in a pretty isolated rural area in the Connecticut River Valley, and you had to do some kind of job. So you were either in the kitchen cutting onions or you were vacuuming in the, in your dorm, or you were working on this farm program. So I always opted in for the farm. We did things like maple sugaring, apples. Uh, we had horses on the farm. Pigs, are our mascot at the school was the hoggers, um, which was actually originally a derogatory term about the, because we were, had a farm program, but they sort of embraced it. And that had a big impact to me. And then I was really pursuing something totally different in criminology through college, but I kind of had that bug in me that I, I love trees, I loved, uh, I loved meat, and was very passionate about the idea that if you're gonna eat meat, you should be able to raise and butcher an animal and, and understand you know, like not have that gap between meat on your plate and the living animal. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet uh, my now wife, uh, who's my girlfriend in college, who was really in that same mindset. And we were looking for properties the last couple of years and we were more looking for like the perfect property versus that just happened to have a house on it versus finding our our first house. And, um, we just got lucky. We found a really great, great, uh, place. We were able to afford it and we're in that first year of, you know, we're going to be soil farmers for about four or five years. And, um, then it'll develop from there, kind of picking the produce. But for now, rabbits rabbits uh, kind of pay the bills, they're very profitable, and, uh, and we like eating them. So
0: <laughs> it helps the grocery budget. That's really fascinating. I mean, I don't know much about um, any of this, really. I mean, I grew up uh, when I was a kid in Pennsylvania, but it was close to Philadelphia in the suburbs of Westchester. Um, before that, I'd lived in a tiny little town called Wagontown in like a 100-year-old house. And then I pretty much moved to the suburbs of Tennessee. So while I am never far from agriculture, I mean, there are farms 20 minutes from my house. It's really something I've been so disconnected from. I've never been a hunter. I've never been a farmer. But I I totally get where you're coming from. And I totally have a respect for that sort of, uh, that ration, that's not rationale, that philosophy surrounding meat, because I just feel like it's a much more honest way to approach um, being, you know, a carnivore pretty much. Like, uh, I'm very disconnected from my food sources, so I don't really have any skin in the game when it comes to, you know, if I'm eating chicken, I go to the store and I buy something that's prepackaged, and I didn't have to, you know, you know experience any of the difficulty of yeah, that. Yeah, I think,
1: you know, it was more, our gain was a, a holistic view of, we see, you know, we see a lot of the challenges that the suburban lifestyle brings in terms of, consumerism versus sustainability. And we were we were looking for a sustainable way to live that was still reasonable. Like we like living in New England. We didn't quite want to move out into the the middle of nowhere. And we also have a two and a four year old who were infants at the time that we were looking for houses. So it was just a really tough transition to go way off grid. But um yeah that was a big part of it. And that was a lot inspired by my wife too, because she she had moved as she matured from like high school and college, and in her twenties and into her thirties, she had moved between vegetarianism and being a vegan, and and kind of and it was always had to do with the treatment of the animals versus the actual consumption of meat. And um, it is kind of it's it's amazing to see her develop and, and how is the provision for the farm coming. Coming to fruition, the, the same person who is vegan is now like butchers twenty rabbits in a weekend. So, um, and still feels you know feels great about it. So it's um, it's been a great journey. You know, we're I'm itching to, to move forward to planting trees and, and gardening, which is kind of my uh, the plants and the trees is my expertise. She's more than animals, so I'm looking forward to the next couple step. But I'm I'm being patient because we have to really develop the the soil quality and uh, establish some some trees before we really move to um, a true permaculture setup which is obviously our our final goal
0: i mean i think that's really exciting and i think you hear that from some other people in the tableau community like josh smith for example he's very uh, deeply into agriculture and uh, if you look at your public portfolio i think it's not that hard to pick out some stuff that um obviously are very uh, present in your mind among those are agriculture and music and you know basically a uh, treatment of crime.
1: Yeah. So my, my college days, I, I went to school for criminal justice. My sister was a uh, interned at the FBI and I started getting really fascinated with, um, with criminal profiling. And this was sort of pre, uh, like cops on TV at the time I was getting interested in this were st- it was like law and order. It wasn't, Uh, criminal minds or like serial killer stuff yet, but I had this kind of early fascination with um, organized crime and white collar crime and serial killer and sort of pattern crimes. And, Got really interested in that uh, towards the end of high school, into college. And I went to a school called St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, that had a great criminal justice program and allowed me to really look into you know the, the legislative, the sort of the legal side of the criminal justice program, the uh, executive side where we were, you know, we went to go visit state troopers. And uh, my sister was actually a local cop time I was in college in the same town, which I don't recommend. So my sister was my roommate. In a cop in the town where I went to college. So I didn't get into too much trouble that anybody found out about. Um, and uh, I was kind of pursuing that as my my career. And then I graduated in 2008 at the depth of the recession. So they weren't really, uh, there's sort of a government hiring freeze unless you wanted to go in like DEA or Border Patrol or something like that. And I ended up in the corporate loss prevention world where I was able to bring over this sort of fraud, crime pattern analysis. Um, sociological or cr- uh, criminology background into a data set that was really rich with financial activity and, um, you know, made my early career at, at being a, a loss prevention, like a retail loss prevention uh, fraud
0: analyst. I mean, that's a, an interesting journey you've been on, really. I mean, I know for me, I graduated, um, gosh, I guess 2004 uh, with my undergrad degrees. I had a uh, bachelor's in marketing and a bachelor's in management information systems Um, When I first entered college, I was really into IT. and At the time, there were people getting hired out as juniors, like $40,000 signing bonuses to go be a coder for whatever, you know. But uh, in the middle of all that, the dot-com burst happened. So my degrees very quickly diminished in value before I even had them. And uh, I was looking at my options as I was preparing to graduate and grad school was looking really good. So I managed to get into a graduate program. I didn't even end up paying for grad school. I got an assistantship. So basically I worked a day job at a swimming pool supply store, an afternoon job as a graduate assistant uh, advising undergrads in their classes, then the evenings going to classes for grad school, and then from about 11.30 at night on trying to do some homework uh, before getting up to do it again the next day. And it's like the the trashiest of all trash TV was on when I get home. So I'd be like, you know, be watching the reruns of like the absolute worst sitcoms on Fox while trying to do homework. I, I had like half a day off a week. It was, it was the most miserable year and a half of my life because I mean, you know, it's, it's where you're, uh, your your peak value as a human being in the marketplace is at its lowest you know it's like oh great you're you're educated you have no experience though so we don't want to pay you but at the same time um you know you you need the money more than ever because you can't go back to the swimming pool store because they know you're too educated to stay but you're also uh too unskilled to be hired into something that fits with your degrees
1: that and you you know what and that was the gap um it's interesting the way you frame that story because that was the gap where we were when we decided that we really wanted to pursue a a more agrarian lifestyle was that uh, we are so dependent on our food and water that we couldn't if we lived in a city and all of a sudden those doubled or tripled or quadrupled in cost or just weren't available we would have no option like we wouldn't know what to do um so we we really made that move where it was like, we, we know, we, we realized how little we knew when we started that process. And it was even things like, oh, when are blueberries in season? Where do you plant? Like, why is it good to plant tomato with basil together? Is that just because people like caprese? Like we were so clueless, um, and realized that, This was something really, really important that we knew nothing about. Um, And we were at this awkward value where like I had a good job. We were making good money. We were at this point where we're supposed to be making these big decisions. But we were adults who didn't know how to get food, like where their food came from. Um, So that would kind of cause a big life change for us.
0: I I can imagine that. I mean, I know for me during that phase of my life, um, the week... I was about to graduate from grad school is when my parents moved back to Pennsylvania. So my entire sort of familiar support structure uh, disappeared. And uh, I had a girlfriend who's now my wife, and uh, that was about the best thing I had going on for me. Um, But besides that, uh, I graduated with my MBA at like age, I guess, 24. I don't know, 22, 23. And I could not find employment. I couldn't even go back to the swimming pool store I had just come from. Um, So I, out of six months being unemployed, I burned through all my savings. I actually, um, yeah, it's like I literally uh, burned through everything and no one would hire me because, yeah. you know, when you apply for a job, you put down your credentials, my credentials or my education, my education biases people against hiring you at like even a fast food restaurant because they're like, well, you're going to leave in a month. But at the same time, you know, a more corporate job won't hire you because you don't have the experience. So let me tell you, internships, guys, like that's the best thing I can pitch if you're,
1: yeah, I, I totally agree with that. The internships are a great way in. And and I've known some people who are um, fantastic professionals that were internships at the first big company that I worked at. And it was it was great to see them develop. Uh, I was really just lucky. I, I got some great opportunities. Um, I had supervisors at, at a retail company that, that I worked at that really invested in me and my training, knowing that there was the potential I, I would move on. Um, but I've just had so many good breaks, you know, like you, I met the right girl um, who helped kind of add a a lot of directions to my life. And then uh, I just have been, uh, I've been really lucky. I've I've had a great string of mentors and and, uh, supportive people around me, the Tableau community, of course. And um, yeah, I think we all, I think everybody who's at this point in their career uh, in the, in the Tableau community or who does this for a living, has a a different way that they, they kind of meandered to this, but um, I'm sure we all got some breaks.
0: Honestly, in retrospect, that whole period was kind of a blessing because, I mean, I was always a good kid. I always had jobs, always worked, but um, sort of experiencing the lack of all that and realizing, hey, this could, it happens, it can happen to anyone, like seriously, anyone can fall in a circumstance where, you know, they're struggling. So it's really great to have that sort of social safety net. If you have family that's there to help you, you know, if you have loved ones around you to lift you up. But I mean, yeah, that, it was really great for me to just sort of broaden my perspective um and uh be more compassionate frankly but um talking about uh your caprese salad <laughs> going back to that um it's a transition span so um you have a viz it's your top viz it's your featured viz it's your my favorite viz of yours it's your companion planting web
1: thank you.
0: um which for those of you that know it uh you won't forget it but it's a spectacular chord chart um sort of built around the farmer's almanac design. It's super beautiful and it's uh super creative. It's uh you basically hover on an element of a plant or vegetable that um you're interested in and it tells you not only what plants are good to plant around it, but which plants you should not plant around it. And I just want to hear kind of your thoughts around this, where you came up with this data. Like what uh what was the idea, Will? So,
1: and thank you, by the way, I appreciate it. It was, um, I've been really happy with how many people who are not in my uh, data fam, who are not in the Tableau community that have seen this and, and it clicked for them, which I guess is the reason why it has so many views um, more than certainly uh, anything else that I've built from at least favorites. But, you know, it's been in my head for about three years. So we were, as we were going through this transition and trying to find the right property you know, we were looking for a place that has seasoned pasture and a fresh water source and high biodiversity and things that a retail uh, real estate agent doesn't quite have on their MLS checkbox. Um, you know, we were looking for these properties. So I been, was reading through gardening books and planting books like crazy and, and planning these uh, different um, plant ecosystems that I was going to build. And I kept seeing these companion planting charts, and they're usually in tabular format. And it would have a list of plants, and then the their companions, or there would be different sections of an Excel style chart, and one would be combatants, and they were they were trying to express all of them were trying to express these really interesting relationships between different plant species in a garden, and they were doing it in a in a tabular sort of checkerboard format, which never really worked for me, and I always imagine it as a network, and uh, I had seen you know, really cool, um, you know, as a data viz professional, I'd seen some great network diagrams by Joe Mako and uh, Noah Salvatera, uh, Ken Fleurledge, and thought more in that sense. And I, I kind of thought of this idea of a core diagram where you could ex- express these interesting relations. If not, I'd like to add in some more layers, like, you know, you, you find out the reason that Basil is really good to plant next to tomatoes is because the fragrance that comes off from the basil repels uh, different kinds of flies and mosquitoes and pests that would bother the tomatoes. And the reason that um, different, (laughs) like different flowers, oh, so mint is a great example. Like mint is something I don't even know if I had it on there, but mint repels mice. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's just these little sort of old farmer's almanac-type words of wisdom. And when you put these together in a network, you can start to build systems that complement each other. And it was, it was really towards our goal of, we don't, you know, industrial farming is this idea of you till a section of soil, totally destroying the, the networks and the, all of the value that's been built up in the soil over time. And then you just add inputs to control different parts of it. So you add chemical fertilizers, you add uh, minerals, you add pesticides to control different pests. And really there's relationships between plants, insects, and animals like birds and and small mammals uh, and larger mammals that can can, make healthier systems that control that. And that's what we were going for. Like We're never gonna have the money to continually buy chemical fertilizers and pesticides. So we wanted to find a way to plant different species together that would increase our overall biodiversity, make a healthier atmosphere. And then that's such a complex thing where I was like, yeah, I need a chart. I need to build a chart for that because I'm not going to remember all of these things. And um, everybody who's been into agriculture knows the Farmer's Almanac and the very ornate design, uh, classic design of the cover, which was my inspiration. So so that was it. I was trying to express, express these really complex relationships between individual plant species and, um, you know, their their health, the health of an overall system. So I still have to add in insects and birds and some other things. Um, so there'll probably be an expanded version of that this spring. Uh, but that was the inspiration behind
0: I mean, it. I'm excited for it because I love it. Like, as I said, I'm not really like a super nature guy, which is probably ironic because I'm an Eagle Scout. Um, but uh, it's, it, the design is beautiful. It draws you in. I mean, I have had a lot of uh, luck at work recently, sort of socializing data viz not necessarily with people in business positions, but with people in more creative positions Um, because we have people that design our work and stuff for us. And by showing them that data visualization goes beyond uh, lines and bar charts, it's really gotten them excited and fired up. And I'm actually interacting a lot more with this team that I previously had no relationship with. And honestly, this viz of yours was one of the first ones I showed them to sort of socialize. them. like, hey, look, uh, it's a much more broad topic than you could ever realize because if someone were talking about data their first thought goes to excel spreadsheets and then their mind goes to sleep but when i see the companion planting web i get curious i start hovering and clicking and reading and each piece of information that it feeds me makes me want to know another piece and it just keeps going
1: yeah for me for me that was uh, that was dustin cabral so uh, when i uh I was, you know, moved to this retail company and I was starting some great work. And I didn't know SQL. I didn't know data at the time. And I think I was just Googling what tool can make pictures and charts from big data. And I came up with Tableau and it turns out that our company had this license. And this guy came over and said, hey, I heard, found out you just downloaded Tableau. That's really cool. What are you trying to do? And I talked about my use case at least as much as I could with them. And this guy turned it out to be one of the best Tableau uh, dashboard designers in all you of know, New England and Dustin Cabral. So he was our lead at the time. He introduced me to Tableau, not just through my work uh, material, but he showed me his Tableau public profile. And he had so much great stuff. Like uh, He has a great visualization called Chasing the Sun. He does a lot of stuff on his kids, like he has a quantified kids dashboard. Uh, presidential popularity, I think, is uh, Mr. Popular is, uh, I think, his highest hit dashboard. That's a really great one. So he he showed me this tool from that, like that public, public uh, table Tambo public angle, and it put the whole thing together for me where I said, yeah, I have these complex ideas, these stories that I'm trying to tell through the different pieces of evidence or data that I have available, and I can do it. in a a dynamic and engaging way. And he was really inspiration for that. And it's really cool because it's come full swing where, you know, he was the first one that showed me Tableau and gave me my first training. I had to do a lot by myself because um, I was doing fraud investigations and those are usually private. Uh, But now we are uh, co-organizers of the Boston Tableau user group and we're colleagues at the same consulting firm. So yeah, um, I, I completely empathize with that. Where when you can in a professional setting, when you can show the table, public space, and all these creative applications of data visualization and the different stories that it can tell, it it makes all those other cylinders fire uh, fire off when you're when you're approaching your work problem.
0: And uh, this is a Sunday. I was speaking at the Fringe Festival on a panel on Friday, and the panel was about adoption, and uh, it's a big ongoing thing in the community right now, trying to sort of figure out how do we get people uh, excited and engaged? Because we have great tools out there. Tableau, I would say, is probably the best one, Um, but that's, I'm biased. Um, But beyond that, okay, so you have a great tool you've put in people's hands, people are becoming skilled practitioners in it, Um, but just because you figured out the tool doesn't mean you're actually gonna create stuff that's necessarily the companion planting viz or some of Dustin's stuff or you know Iron Viz quality or even Makeover Monday quality. And it got me thinking, I had a Sunday school teacher back in the day who was a Secret Service agent. And a lot of people don't realize the Secret Service, beyond just being responsible for presidential security, also is responsible for a lot of stuff surrounding money. And he talked about how as a Secret Service agent, I mean, it's really cool. You ask Secret Service agents all sorts of questions and who knows what they're actually allowed to tell you and not. But um. One of the trainings they receive regarding money is rather than showing them lots of counterfeit bills to get them familiar with all the different counterfeiting techniques, the first thing they do is expose them a whole lot to just real bills. Because the more exposure they have to real money, when they ultimately begin to encounter the counterfeit money as part of their training, the counterfeit stands out. Um, They might not necessarily know why at first, but they just know this doesn't quite feel right. And I think one of the great things that we can sort of do for people as we try to socialize data visualization and get people excited about data and get people playing with data and experimenting with it is by getting the good stuff in front of them, exposing people to as much quality work as possible, even if it has nothing to do with their job, even if it's not from inside your own organization. But like showing the companion planting web, I don't see a use case at my job for a chord chart. But uh, it is a spectacular way for detailing networked um, network data, and uh, by showing people all these different great use cases, all these great examples, it'll get them excited. And that that way, next time when you're showing them something regarding like Q4 sales for widgets, um, maybe they're going to be a little more a bit more tuned in and engaged.
1: I totally agree. I mean, you know, the the challenge is always you want to express that's why I think one of the the early pieces of advice that I got when trying to fill out my tablet public profile is like, Oh, I need to, to, to build some stuff. Like I want to build this up. Um, I want to practice my skills and I, I don't quite always have the consistent time and and discipline to do, you know, every single makeover Monday or workout Wednesdays or things on the schedule, like social projects. Um, because I'm trying to do the, the stuff that I'm paid for and then everything else I have to do. But One of the uh, best pieces of advice I got was to just visit what you're passionate about, find something you're interested in and find some data set and and you'll get creative about it. And it creates more of an environment where where the community, you know, um, Tableau user groups, the Tableau public, especially the Twitter space where people share stuff. If you can just express that this stuff is so cool that we have the responsibility to tell everyone we can about it. Uh, then you're doing it right, and that's that's as far as I've ever thought it. Um, I think if I if I try to micro analyze it or you know detail it much more than that, I'm, I'm not equipped to to talk about the the detail of design and and what makes a perfect viz as much as somebody like you know an Andy Creeble or Jonathan Drummy, uh, Lilac Mayhem, like uh, uh Kevin Ken Fleurledge. I, I can't speak from from that level of expertise, Chantilly Jagernoff, but I can, um, you know, you just know when you like something and, and you can get excited about it and share it. And I've always found those presentations more interesting than all of the functionally crazy and cool things that people can do with Tableau to make it feel more like an application versus uh, here's a, a topic, an idea, and here's how I was able to design these data visualizations into. A thematic story that's still unbiased. Like it's it's dramatic, it's drawing, it it pulls you in with the colors and the imagery, but it's still right down the middle. It's just telling this data story, um, and that's how I've I found it easier to th- the things I've been most successful with have come from that place, versus you know oh I need to copy and paste this presentation from Tableau. Or from PowerPoint into Tableau, or okay, it's Makeover Monday. What what do I want to do this week? I want to do a Gantt chart. Doesn't really apply here. I don't care. I want to do a Gantt chart this week. So I'm gonna figure out a way for it to work. Um, and I've I've just never had the uh, the time or discipline to to really push through that stuff and and tried to come from that other place. Well, I mean,
0: you're in the right place if we're talking about this because. Um The entire idea behind this podcast is I want to talk to people about what got them fired up. And I can tell by your public portfolio that you're chasing the stuff that you want to do. I mean, we've all done um, exercises sometimes or even uh, just a a viz where we found a data set that we weren't super into. And it almost always shows in the work. Um, When we're at work, that's a different thing. You know, you're doing work data visualization. Even then, I'm passionate about getting the best product uh, to my customer. But with your public work, uh, you can tell if I was doing, you know, something I was really into or something I was really not into because I put in that extra personal touch. I put in that extra effort and it's just, it's tangible. It really is.
1: And I'm not discrediting the other side. Like there are people, you know, people like uh, Bo McCready comes to mind where he just, he puts out so much stuff and it's such high quality and it's always impactful. Chantilly is another one where every single one of her visualizations should be just on a poster hung somewhere in a gallery. They're so bold and, and she tries so many different chart types. And then the people who are just playing with the tool, like there, uh, there is a value there. I'm not discrediting that. All I'm saying is like, I'm not equipped to <laughs> attack the problem from that angle. And I'm not, you know, the fleurless twins were cloned with a bald guy and a graphing calculator. And I like I love them to death, but they do things I can't even imagine. So I don't I don't try to attack those problems where you're making the tool do new things. I'm more like, oh, that's pretty and that's fun, and that, I feel okay with that. I'm just a fan.
0: You just want to write pretty vizzes.
1: Yeah, I just want to write. I just want to write pretty Sasquatch vizzes.
0: Well, on that note, Will, let's wrap things up. Is there anything you would like to promote? Anyone you'd like to promote? Anything you'd like to talk about? Well, shout out to mom.
1: No, my mom's fine. I talked to her the other day. She's good. They're down. They Snowbird from South Carolina, like a lot of people from New England. No, I, I think I would say, um, you know, the the tableau community is is really an important thing to me. And um, Anthony Shambaras and, and Zach Lieber had established such a great. Boston Tableau community, and always got great uh, guest speakers like Jonathan Drummy and Steve Wexler and Ryan Sleeper. They let me present things, you know, like a visualization and a hour presentation on the history of the death penalty in America. Not a lot of people let you do that in public, um, so I really appreciate them for for giving me the opportunity to do that. And then the our greater, you know, I've I've taken over as one of the organizers of the Boston Tableau User Group along with Dustin. And um, I would say the rest of my my Boston Tableau community. I I don't want to start naming names because I'll feel terrible if I leave someone out. But our, our greater community and the dozens of, of leaders within it, you know, make uh, our little corner of of this um, this community really strong and active. And they make my job as an organizer really easily easy. And I just get to show up and be passionate. And they all share that passion. So, I would just give a big shout out to the Boston Tableau community, to my employer, Clear Intelligence, because they let me really participate heavily. Um, I'm sure they, I'm sure they're losing out on some billable hours with with all the stuff that I do uh, in Tableau Public and uh, being a farmer. But uh, they've been a great family first shop, and um, you know they really kind of set the standard for. Um, data consultants and visualization analytics in new england so uh and give them a big shout out too and uh and you thank you for hosting me and letting me ramble a little bit um <laughs> i've had a lot of fun it's nice to see you after the conference or at least talk to you uh, we had a good time there i i am disappointed that it's going to be in vegas next year at marcoli i'm not a big desert or um vegas guy but um it'll be fun to see everybody again next year
0: Look forward to seeing you then, buddy, and hopefully let's do this again soon. Let's not let not. Wow, let's not let it be so long before we talk again.
1: All right, but well, anyway, thank you so much for for talking to me tonight. It's been a lot of fun.
0: All right, thanks, Will.